You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see everybody. I hope you had a great week. And if you're new to Bayshore, I'm Pastor Danny, and I'm so glad that you're with us. And we want to say a big hello to our Family College campus. Would you give our Family College campus a hand right now? Thank you guys for being with us. And Pastor Chase and everybody there and in Rehoboth, uh, Pastor Joel is preaching today. And we just have a great, great uh, thing happening to our community as we reach out to our community. And I just want to say hello to everybody online that's watching right now. I am so thrilled every week to hear from people that are watching online. The best way to experience Bayshore is to be here. But uh, those people that are online, we're just so grateful for you and uh, just love you guys. I'm so glad that you're a part of Bayshore all over the country, actually. So we're glad that you're a part of today. We are actually uh, in a series. This is the second week in a series called Under the Gun. And this uh, idea of under the gun is a... uh, it's a phrase that was sort of birthed out of World War I when uh, the troops would come out of the uh, trenches and go into no man's land to charge at the enemy and the bullets flying around them. And that phrase, under the gun, has to do with being under pressure and trying to meet deadlines and just being under enormous pressure. So we're talking about being under the gun. And last week we talked about what to do when you're just under pressure and trouble is just everywhere around and how to deal with that. Today we're going to talk about something I think is very important. We're going to talk about when you're under pressure because of a choice you made. Maybe you've made a choice or a decision that's created chaos in your life and you are having a really, really hard time. So we want to talk today about what you do when you're under the gun because of something you've done. And sometimes we get into trouble because of decisions that we made and we find ourselves in this incredibly uncomfortable place because of something that we have done. And, uh, you know, there's certain types of pressure. There's pressure that, you know, that you just have stuff that happens in your life you have no control over. You didn't do anything. It's just there. Like Job in the book of Job, you know, uh, you look at Job, he was blameless in the sight of the Lord and he didn't do anything wrong. He was walking with the Lord and all these things happened in his life and it had nothing to do with him. He hadn't done anything wrong. In fact, to the contrary, he was going through a hard time because he was a righteous man. But then there are times when we make choices or we do things or we make decisions that really cause difficulty in our life. And I think when you're going through something that you've caused, that's doubly hard to deal with. Because not only do you have to deal with, you know, the pressure and the conflict that you're in, but you have to deal with the guilt as well that, you know, I am where I am because of something I did. And it's like a two-front war. I've got a little slide we'll put on the screen here, a two-front war. The two-front war is, you know, you have the pressure that you're under personally, and then you have the dealing with the shame as well that, you, that you're dealing with. The, the Apostle Peter said this. He said, he said, for it is commendable, this is 1 Peter 2.19, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing something wrong and enduring it? So when I read that, it makes me think about, you know, how sometimes our trouble, we're under the gun 
because of something we've done. I read about this bricklayer, and I, probably you've heard this. This has been around a long time. And years ago, I read this story about a bricklayer that had to turn in an accident report. And he turned in this report, and here's what it said. He said, Dear Sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in block number three of the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for fuller explanation, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade, and on the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over, which when weighed, later weighed, were found to weigh 240 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, untolding, un holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 240 pounds of bricks. You will note on the accident reporting form that I weigh 135 pounds. <laughs> Due to my surprise of being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded up at a rapid rate to the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which now is proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This, this explains the fracture skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed on section three of the accident report form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until my fingers on my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which, meant, which I mentioned paragraph two was, uh, was, was in, the, in the correspondence. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoting of the weight of bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you can imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations in my leg and lower body. Here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks, and unfortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, and watching an empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my composure and presence of mind. I let go of the rope. <laughs> well, when I read that, I think about, you know, uh, our decisions sometimes can cause a lot of difficulty for us. We can get into situations where the situation we're in has to do with the decisions or poor choices that we have made personally. So how do we deal with that when you're in pain and the pain you're in is the pain that you've caused? There's a great story in the Old Testament that gives some, uh, uh, gives some insight on this, and it's in 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, verse 1 through 20. We're not going to read all the story, but it's in the life of King David, and David had uh, made a really, really bad strategic choice. And the choice he had made was he had left his family completely exposed to danger. And it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and it begins in verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. 
They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahaniam and Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me an ephod. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Uh, Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And David and his 600 men with him came to Bezor Valley, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 men continued the pursuit. Now, what happened in this story uh, is, is really interesting. David had been running from King Saul for a period of time. King Saul had become jealous of David, and so therefore, uh, you know, David has been going through months and years uh, being a fugitive, and he basically gets to the point where he's tired of running, he's tired of hiding from King Saul, so he comes up with this plan. And the Bible doesn't say he sought the Lord, the Lord told him to do this. He's just tired, and he makes this decision. And sometimes when we're tired and we're wore out and we're under pressure, we make decisions that aren't the best decisions. And so what happened was David decided that he's going to go into the Philistine country, make an alliance with the Philistines, which are the arch enemies of Israel, and therefore he's going to be protected by living in this foreign land. So what happens is he comes to the Philistine country, he finds favor with one of the Philistine kings, and they give him a little city called Ziklag. And this is a little city that David and his men and the wives of his men, the children of his men, and David's wives and David's children, that they're living there. After a while, what happens is uh, the Philistines want to go to war against Israel and they want David and his men to go along with them. So they ask David to get his 600 men to come in alliance with them and go against the children of Israel in the land of Judah, which is very complicated for David. And I don't know what's going on in his mind at this point, but he agrees to do this. And so as he agrees to do this, he leaves his wives and his children and the wives and children of his men in this place called Ziklag, and there's no men left in the village. There's no soldiers left in the village. David has just completely left that that city completely vulnerable. And he goes to uh, fight with the Philistines, which he never really does, but that's another part of the story. And while David is gone, and while his army is gone, the Amalekites, this is another Canaanite group of uh, people, come against Ziklag and they burn the city with fire. They destroy the city. They take all of David's uh, possessions. They take all of his, his resources. They take his wives, his children. They take the wives and children of his, uh, of his men, and the city is completely devastated. When David comes back, he's coming back to the city. His men are coming with him, and what do they see as they're coming? They see smoke coming up from the city. 
Because the city has been burned with fire and the city has been destroyed and, and, and it has been completely ravished and all of the children and all of the, of the wives and all of the families of the men are taken captive because David made a poor decision. He's completely responsible for this. The problem of Ziklag being destroyed is directly connected to David's decision to leave the city and he made a stupid decision and when he made that stupid decision there were consequences that occurred because of that stupid decision and now David is in a real pickle and he's in a real mess. Now here's what one of the things that comforts me David is the man who wrote the 23rd Psalm. David is the man who wrote many of the Psalms. David is a man of God. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. But David made a stupid decision. And how many know that everybody sometimes makes a stupid decision? Can you say a big amen? amen. you got to really give yourself sometimes a get-out-of-jail-free pass because, listen, you cannot live on this planet. You cannot live as a Christian person uh, you can't live as a parent, you can't live as a, an employer without sometime making a poor decision. Let me just ask this question universally here this morning. How many here have ever made a bad decision? Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand up real good, real high there. Look around here. We are all humans and we all make mistakes. Say this with me. If David can do something stupid, I can too. Now, I just have to say, this is uh, an admission here, you know, uh, I, I'm not a big Tom Brady fan. There's a picture of Tom Brady. We've got a picture of Tom Brady, I think. And uh, Tom Brady, I'm not a big fan of him, you know, but let me just say this. I probably think that Tom Brady may be the best quarterback that's ever played the game. He is amazing. And uh, he's done incredibly well. And uh, do you realize that when he throws the ball, he completes passes 67% of the time. 67% of the time. He has really, you know, he's got, he's got a Super Bowl ring for every finger, it seems like. And uh, anybody here, uh, we're New England fans. Just raise your hand if you were a New England fan. Not many people. We don't usually allow many people like that at Bayshore, but... <laughs> Jody Monroe is on staff. She's a New England fan. That shows the grace of God that this church has toward people. I'll tell you what, you know, uh, but anyhow... Ravens could have used him last week, but anyhow, I just I won't get into that. But here's a here's a number. Here's a number I'll put up here. Number three. What does number three have to do with Tom Brady? The number three has to do with this that this season, Tom Brady has thrown three interceptions. The great Tom Brady has thrown three interceptions this season. Now here's another number. The number is 194, 194. What does 194 have to do with Tom Brady? That's the number of interceptions he's thrown in his career. So King David throws a major interception in his life. And he's got a major problem. He's got a major difficulty in his life. He's got a major issue because of a decision that he has made. I remember when uh, some of you have heard me tell this probably a hundred times when I first became a pastor here uh, over 40 years ago when I came here uh, I made a bad leadership decision it was just one of a string of bad leadership decisions and I still make bad leadership decisions from time to time I do my best pray for wisdom 
But uh, I remember I was so overwhelmed because when you make a mistake and you make a, a poor choice and you're living in the consequences of that poor decision, it can paralyze you. It can paralyze you. And I remember, you know, being in the old auditorium and I made this decision that maybe wasn't the best decision and the consequences were all around me and I was overwhelmed with a decision that I made and I was paralyzed and I couldn't, I couldn't pray, I couldn't read the Bible, I was just paralyzed by the decision that I made. And I was in the auditorium and I, I had this I opened my Bible and I played Bible roulette. Let me ask you, how many have ever played Bible roulette? You open the Bible, you put your finger in there and see what it says. It's like you use the Bible like a fortune cookie. Have you ever done that? So I opened the Bible, put my finger down, and I'm, I need a word from the Lord. I can't read my, I can't even think when I'm reading a chapter. I can't think. And I opened the Bible and I put my finger down and it came to Job 32.9. And Job 32.9 said this. It said, great men are not always wise. Great men are not, are not always wise. Now that may be the only time God has ever spoken through Bible roulette, but he spoke to me that day. And you know, sometimes you've got to give yourself a pass because David made a poor decision and that poor decision caused pain in his life and the pain that came into David's life because of that decision was God's way of teaching David what he needed to learn. Here's one of the big takeaways for, for when you make a poor decision. Never underestimate the value, the educational value of a poor decision. That's point number one. We'll put that up here. Never underestimate the value of the educational value of a poor decision. I think we have it somewhere. This is number one here. Maybe... Maybe not. Okay, here we go. Let me just read it to you. Um, see the educational value of a bad decision. There it is. Everybody say it with me. See the educational value of a bad decision. So make sure that you uh, recognize that when you have made a poor decision and you're going through pain, you're going through difficulty, that you learn... And I learn what we need to learn from that poor decision. And so there's always incredible educational value in a poor decision. When you're living through the aftermath of that and you're going through that, it's important that you uh, come to a point where you recognize that there's something God wants to teach me in the midst of this. Here's the best teacher in the world. The best teacher in the world is pain. Pain, when you go through pain, the purpose of pain is to teach you a lesson. The purpose of pain, when you go through pain, is to teach you, to instruct you, to give you the lesson that you need to learn through that. Mark Twain said this about, he said, if a cat sits on a hot stove, if a cat sits on a hot stove, that cat won't sit on a hot stove again. That cat won't sit on a cold stove either. That cat just don't like stoves. So when you go through, you make a decision, and the decision causes you pain, make sure that you let the pain that you're in teach you what you need to learn. Here's a big important thing for us to remember. Don't let 
the pain of a poor decision depress you. Let the pain of a poor decision teach you. Don't let the pain of a poor decision depress you. Let the pain of a poor decision teach you. So every time you're in a situation where you've, you've made a mistake or you've done something wrong and you're living through something that's painful, make sure that you, make sure that you learn what you need to learn from that choice. Because God's all about God's all about progress. God is not about failure. God is not about blame. God is not about shame. God doesn't want you to just wallow in your, in your guilt. God is all about progress, and he wants to teach us. I, I was uh, talking to somebody recently that was going through another divorce, had been a series of divorces in, in their life. And I always say this to people that go through divorces, and uh, there's people in this auditorium that go through divorces. There's nothing more painful or disruptive to a person's life. And when people come to me in devastation about a divorce and they don't know if they can go on, I always say the same thing. You've heard me say this many times. You know, this is not the end of the world for you. It's not the end of the world for you. The most important thing is what have you learned from what you've gone through. Have you learned the lesson you need to learn? So I was talking to this guy. He was on his third thing. And, uh, and here's what really concerned me about him. That what concerned me was that every situation he had, he was the hero. He was the hero. He hadn't done anything wrong. He, he painted himself in heroic terms and he had married these three bad women. And I'm just here to tell you, I think the likelihood of that being the case is very slim. Just, just saying, I think it's slim. And I probed and I said, listen, you know, you don't want to see yourself as a hero. You want to learn what you need to learn because you contributed to part of this problem. And you know where growth begins in our life? Growth always begins in our life when we take responsibility for our stuff. We can never grow until we take responsibility for our stuff. So it's not the end of the world. It's not, if you failed and you've gone through a failed relationship, it's not the end of the world, but you need to mine the gold out of that experience. You need to get your, your pick and your shovel, and you need to mine the gold out of that experience so you learn what you need to learn about that. Because God, say this to me, God is not about blame. He's about progress. So, and here's the other thing I know about God. I know this, that when you fail, you make a bad choice. His main thing is he lets pain come into your life so the pain can teach you because pain is the best teacher. So he brings, he allows you to go through some pain because of a bad choice you made. <clears throat> and the goal of that pain is not an end in of itself. Pain is not the end in of itself. Pain is a mechanism that God uses to help us to learn well, we need to learn because God will just keep letting us learn. He wants us to learn. If you fail, don't learn your lesson. He's going to let that thing come back around, come back around. I remember, <clears throat> I remember when I was a kid uh, learning to water ski. My uncle took me uh, to the Nanticoke River and taught me how to water ski. 
And I remember, you know, as a little kid, 13, 14 years old, trying to learn how to water ski, you know, I had the, you know, I had the skis on and trying to stay balanced in the water and had the rope between the skis and uh, he would hit that mercury engine, pull me up and I would start skiing and, uh, and I would be up just a few seconds and boy, I would go over and then he would take that boat, bring that boat around in a circle and he'd come up beside me, he'd put that boat he right beside me and he'd let that, that rope get between my water skis another time and I'd grab a hold of the handle again, we'd go again, I'd go over head over heels again. He kept bringing the boat around, bringing the boat around, bringing the boat around. And I kept, I kept trying to learn how to water ski until I finally got up. And see, that's what God does. You know, when you fail and you make a choice that's pr- produced negative consequences in your life, uh, you know, when you're under the gun for something you've done, uh, God doesn't, he's not punishing you. He's not making you uh, wallow in your pain. He just wants that pain to teach you what you need to learn. And so God uses pain to help us to get where we need to get. Very, very important, important lesson there. When I was uh, at the University of Delaware taking uh, courses, I took these uh, history courses from Dr. Williams uh, Bill Williams, famous history teacher at UD. And uh, he had this thing. If you took a history class, you took Western Civ or American history or if world history, whatever you took from him, you had to pass a geography test. And like for U.S. history, uh, he would have a picture of, 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 of the map of the U.S., uh, of the, the United States, and it would be unlabeled, and not even state borders were there. And he would give you a list of 75 things on the paper that you had to identify. You had to identify where the Sierra Mountains were. You had to identify where the Mississippi River was. And he would give you these, and you had to, you had to know where things were. And the deal was that you had to pass that geography test before you could pass the class. So he would give you, you come in, uh, for, for the test, uh, the second week of class, he gives you this thing, the first week of class, and you, and you study the geography, and you take the test. He'll give you 25 things, and you've got to put them on the map. If you, get, if you don't get enough right, no worries, no worries, you're going to take the same test next week. Now, it's going to be different names on there, but you're going to keep taking that test. And it, you may take it three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times, but you're going to pass that geography test before you get done. And when, when God is teaching us something, when you make a poor choice and you're paralyzed by that poor choice and you feel defeated and you feel uh, overcome by the weight of that poor choice and you're feeling awful about that poor choice and you've made this mess and you're under the gun because of something you've done, the goal is not for you to feel bad. The goal is for you to, to discover what the Lord wants you to discover. So that's the first thing. So when, uh, when you're under the gun, see the educational value of a bad decision. Say it with me. When you're under the gun... See the educational value of a bad decision. Number B, the next thing, number two, go to the person that is always for you. Go to the person that is always for you. So uh, in, in the key verse in this, in this text here in 1 Samuel chapter 30 is where it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And it says, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, It says in verse number six, David was distressed, was greatly distressed 
because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. So when David was, his, his men are blaming David. They're angry at David because his decision has affected them. Bad decisions affect other people as well. So David is, these people are upset with David. And they want to stone David because they're angry with David. But the Bible says that David found strength in the Lord. And, and we had all, David had all these people against him. But David went to the one person that was for him. He went to the Lord and he, and he came to the Lord and he sought the Lord. And, and, and David had all these people that were angry at him. And he goes to the Lord, and when he goes to the Lord, he's going to the one person that's for him because the book of Romans says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And it doesn't matter if 10 people are against you. It doesn't matter if 100 people are against you. It doesn't matter if 1,000 people are against you. It doesn't matter if 10,000 people are against you. The Lord is always for you. Can you say a big amen? He's always for you. He's always rooting for you. He's always behind you. And so David goes to the Lord and the Lord is supporting David. The Lord is behind David. The Lord is upholding David. The Lord is strengthening David. And so we see that David is experiencing the grace and strength of the Lord. So when you're under the gun for something you've done, you need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I know that you're for me. And there's never, there's never a time, there's never a time when you go to the Lord when he is not for you. There's never a time when he's against you. He's always for you. And so you can go to the Lord and find him that he is for you. He's supporting you and he's fully behind you. And uh, the book of Psalms says a lot about that. So uh, David went to the one that gave him, uh, that was for him and supported him and that gave him the support that he needed. Uh, very, very important point there. And then... Uh, when you're out of strength, number three, when you're out of strength, go to the one that's full of strength. When you're out of strength, go to the one that's full of strength. When you're out of strength, go to the one that's full of strength. And here's what happens when you are beating yourself up and you've maybe, uh, you know, you're in a situation because of poor decision you've made and you're overwhelmed with the pressure of that situation emotionally you can wear yourself out you can wear yourself out because you know you're thinking about all the things you should have done how many have ever thought i should have done this i should have done i should have done this how many you know how many know that i should have done this thinking about what you should have done is a is a exercise in futility because it doesn't matter because what you should have done is not what you did do and you have to just say you know I'm going to quit rehearsing this failure in my mind. Uh, I'm going to quit thinking about my failure. And I'm going to go to the one that gives me strength, uh, the one that's for me. If God be for me, who can be against me? God is su fully supporting. God is helping. God is sustaining. God is upholding. He doesn't let us down. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't, you know, turn his back on us. He's with us all the time, and he never, ever leaves us or forsakes us. So David goes to the one that, that gives him strength because he says, I found strength. David said, I found strength. David found strength in the Lord his God. So the picture is is that David has lost all of his strength. 
He's, he's emotionally exhausted. He's completely wore out. He's completely uh, out of gas. And he's under this. And he's completely, you know, in this, this place. And he has no strength. And he goes to the one that has strength. So God has strength when you have none. Say it with me. God has strength when you have none. One more time. God has strength when I have none. He said he found strength in the Lord his God. He found strength in the Lord his God. The book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah says this. Listen to this. One of my favorite verses. Isaiah 40 is... The Lord speaking to Israel when Israel is in captivity in Babylon. They're in Babylon because of their sin, because of their choices. And Isaiah 40, we read Isaiah 40 from a devotional perspective, which is fine. But Isaiah 40 is really written to people that are in exile and they're in a mess. They're in Babylon because of their mistake. And, you know, when you're in Babylon because of something you did, a mistake that you made, your, your emotions... And your strength can just dry up because you're just so under that oppression. And so Isaiah writes to them the word of the Lord to them. And they're in Babylon because of what they did. And here's what the Lord says. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. He gives, verse 29, he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. So go to the one that can give you strength. And so David could have said, you know, I don't deserve God's help. I don't deserve God's strength. I don't deserve, you know, I don't, I just, you know, I'm going to lay in my, in my failure. I'm going to stay in my, you know, my, my sort of my own self-imposed pit. But the Bible says that David went to the one that was for him. And he, when he had no strength, he went to the one who had all strength. And he got strength from the Lord, and the Lord gave him the strength that he needed, and the Lord sustained him and kept him and was, was really uh, sustaining David and keeping him. And so it says, uh, you know, that he found strength in the Lord. And then finally, uh, it says in... Uh, he, David took action in verse 7, 1 Samuel 37. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me an ephod. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? And so David hears from the Lord, and we, we can't go through the whole chapter, but what happened is, is that instead of staying in his failure, instead of staying in his, his weariness, David got strength of the Lord. He got encouragement from the Lord, even though he had made this decision that had created this mess. And he found forgiveness. He found grace. He found mercy. And as he found grace and mercy from the Lord, he, uh, he got up and he pursued the enemy. He went after the Amalekites. And as he got up and began to move, 
the Lord began to bless David. He, he found this, uh, this abandoned Egyptian slave that knew where the raiding party was, and they let him, this uh, abandoned Egyptian slave, helped him to find the raiding party, and it said he recovered everything. He recovered everything. He got up, he brushed himself off, and he moved forward, and he found uh, the strength of the Lord, and the Lord blessed him. And it, he, it says in the, in the text that David got back everything, got back everything that had been lost. Aren't you grateful that, that God is a merciful God? He's a gracious God. He's a good God. That even when David failed, God blessed David. God restored David. God restored everything that his stupid decision had caused. And God, in his mercy and grace, restored David to full prosperity. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that that is the kind of God that we serve? God is a good and faithful God. He's a God that does amazing things. It says in uh, Acts chapter 28, Acts chapter 28, that, uh, that Paul was gathering sticks and he was, they were shipwrecked on this island called Malta. And as he was shipwrecked on the island, he was gathering these sticks. And uh, he set these sticks. It was rainy, and uh, he was helping, you know, with the whole thing. And he set these sticks down on the fire. And he didn't know that in the, in the sticks was a viper that was in there. He set the sticks down on the fire, and this viper emerges and bites bites uh, Paul on his hand and is hanging on his hand in this poisonous viper. And it's a great, great picture of, you know, here's Saul, the apostle, he's trying to serve, he's trying to help uh, the people, and, and he's doing everything, and as he's doing this thing, this viper bites him. And here's what it says. It says that Paul shook the viper off, and it fell on the fire. He shook the viper off, and it fell into fire. And when you have failed, and when you have messed up, and you've blown it, and your decision has caused havoc, not only for yourself, but for other people, you've got to get to the point where you find the strength of the Lord. You've got to go to the Lord because he's for you, even though you messed up. And you've got to get that strength. And you've got to take that strength. And then you've got to get up. And you got to move forward. Because, you know, what the, the worst thing that can ever happen to anybody in failure is this. Two things. Number one, they don't learn what the pain's trying to teach them. And number two, they stay in their point of failure instead of getting up. And every time Tom Brady throws an interception, I cheer, of course, but... But he gets up, and he comes out the next time, and he keeps moving forward. you got to keep moving forward. And uh, what do you do when you're under the gun for something you've done? I just want to say, I don't know who this is for today, but I can tell you this. There is hope for you. There is hope for you regardless of how bad you've messed up. There is hope for you. I remember when I was, I've told you this story a bunch of times, when I was uh, 13 or 14 years old, uh, I wrote about this in my first book, about 
how when my parents will leave, they had this big, uh, this big Impala station wagon. I think I've got a picture of uh, what it looked like, this big Impala station wagon. Anybody ever remember a car that looked like this? My parents had a car just like that, and it, it weighs about as much as a battleship, basically. It's, it's, really, it's really a big old beast. But when they would leave, I'd get in that car, and I'm 13 years old, I'd ride it up and down the driveway, just practice. I'm not supposed to be doing that. I'm just driving up and down the driveway. And so one day I was driving it up and down the driveway, having a big time. It had power steering and big old steering wheel. And I went to pull it under the maple tree where it was normally parked. And instead of hitting the brake, I accidentally hit the accelerator. And the car rammed into the side of our house and just devastated the side of the house. And I tried to repair it and all that. And of course, my, my parents were coming back in a moment. I'll never forget our, our conversation about why the car was sticking into the side of the house. How do you explain that? I have no idea how this happened. You know, I have no idea. But I've told that story a hundred times. And I was thinking about that story this week. And, uh, and I thought of something about that little story in my childhood that I've never thought of before is that after that happened, I never, ever drove that car again when my parents weren't there. I never, ever drove the car again when they weren't there. Uh, And there's something about the pain of that event that I learned something that I needed to learn. And listen, God's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He just wants you to learn what you need to learn so you can move forward. He wants to change your life. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.